This podcast episode may contain language and depiction of suicide and eating disorders that some survivors or those in recovery may find upsetting. Please consider your triggers and well-being before listening to this episode. Hi, I'm Kara, and I'm here to change the conversations around mental health and eating disorders, bringing real-life stories of survivors, those in recovery, and my personal journey. It is estimated that one in five adults experience mental health illness. Suicide is the second leading cause of death among people aged 10 to 34. It is estimated that 8 million Americans have an eating disorder, 7 million women and 1 million men. Only one in 10 people with an eating disorder actually receive treatment. Eating disorders have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness. One person dies as a direct result of their eating disorder every 52 minutes, whether through medical complications or by suicide. This podcast will lead the way for having those hard conversations about mental health and eating disorders. This podcast will also focus on the healing properties of being in nature, which for me, completely changed my life. Thank you for joining me today on another episode of The Journey Podcast. I'm your host, Kara, and I'm here to change the conversation around mental health and eating disorders by bringing real-life stories of survivors, those in recovery, and my journey. This podcast will also focus on the healing properties of being in nature, which completely changed my life. I have talked about my own story in previous episodes, and I wanted to create a space for inclusivity, as it's very important to me, and share the microphone with different groups to provide an outlet for those communities. In preparation for this episode, I researched some statistics about mental health and eating disorders in the LGBTQ community, specifically the transgender community. The study found that transgender individuals who had received a diagnosis of gender incongruence were six times more likely to have a mood or anxiety disorder than the general population. They're three times as likely to be prescribed antidepressants and anti-anxiety medications. They are also more than six times as likely to attempt suicide, resulting in hospitalization. Transgender people often encounter stigmatism, oppression, and discrimination, which can all contribute towards adverse mental health outcomes. People who identify as transgender have higher rates of mental health complications than those in the general population due to the stigma and discrimination. In addition to higher prevalence of mental health issues, transgender people typically experience barriers to healthcare, such as refusal to care, violence, and a lack of provider knowledge. These studies also suggest that LGBTQ individuals experience a greater incidence of eating disorders. A 2015 study indicated that eating disorders are more prevalent among transgender people. I'm joined by Camila Camilone, who is the first trans person of color to be president at the San Gabriel Valley LGBTQ Center. Camila, aka La Loca, is a trans femme queer artivist and is a gaucho. Camila, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. And what a great introduction. Thanks. Um, please let the listeners know what your preferred pronouns are. 
So my name is Camila Camilion, and my pronouns are she, her, and ella. And I use ella because it just dictates from the beginning that I speak Spanish. So creating a, a you know, an inclusive framework when you walk into a room. In the opening, I shared that you attended UC Santa Barbara, aka home of the Gauchos. Uh, but before we begin to talk about your trans identity, tell us where you grew up and what it was like before you left to go to college. Yeah, so I grew up living in the San Gipo Valley area of Los Angeles County. Uh, it was an experience that I think uh, is often talked about when we live next to large metropolitan areas like Los Angeles, yet don't have access to resources like um, like similar areas like Palmdale or Riverside, etc. And so for myself, um, I grew up in the San Gabriel Valley. I won't say the location just for safety. And I went to high school. I went to elementary school, the same places that my mom went to. And it was really interesting to be able to uh, come out as a, a gay individual in the year of 2009, 2010. And then many years later, uh, as an adult, come out as trans, you know, and come back to the area and, and see what change can look like for our community. Did you have a hard time coming out in the San Gabriel community? Was it? Yes, actually. It was in, uh, It was interesting because uh, for some folks, they had a harder time. I think what made my experience so unique was I actually have a twin brother and my twin brother is like a cis straight male. And uh, he knew like this whole other half of the school that I didn't know. And, and uh, it, you know, I never just had any problems. I think it was that community building aspect in me that as a young kid always grew. Uh, I also think about like just growing up in the San Gabriel Valley as something that really also fostered my leadership in many ways. Uh, as a fifth grader, I was in the school site council representing the elementary school and uh, that, ne that never stopped. Seventh grade, ASB president. Eighth grade, I was going to the high school already in high school, class president all years and then ASB president my last year. So nice. definitely nice. the trajectory has always been there. Nice. Nice. Um, is this kind of where you discover drag as an outlet as well? Uh, I would say uh, going to UC Santa Barbara was that that aspect it, going to this area for college that specifically allowed me to grow further. I left in 2012 and I came back to the area in 2018 And for myself as a trans individual, I went to this conference called the Creating Change Conference. And at this conference, uh, it was interesting to be able to be around a lot of L other LGBTQ plus individuals. I came back in the year 2015-2016 and came out as trans. Uh, I uh, always tell folks that I came out as a dancer first, too, because uh, I came out through the Vogue scene and really being able to learn myself as a dancer was being able to have a new relationship to, to my body that I had never had in the past. You know, um, uh, it, it's a different rhythm of the world that you're able to walk in when you start to figure out your rhythm. Got it. Mm -hmm. Do you feel that when you went to Santa Barbara that you, there was something that made you build more confidence about yourself? Yeah, I would say so. But I think a part of it has to do with the culture shock. Santa Barbara is a predominantly white it's institution of being. <laughs> as we know. And the interesting part of it as well is um, the, the way in which value and community really came from that. I uh, studied black studies and I studied feminist studies. And so a lot of my uh, like praxis and learning came from just understanding space as an LGBTQ plus individual and the importance of that. And so I was in organizations like La Familia de Colores, which was an all Latinx group 
that met at UC Santa Barbara. And uh, from there, also in other places like the Queer Commission on my campus. So I would say just learning kind of like what my role was within that particular space and then owning it even further. Like uh, I remember my third year applying for this organization called AS Program Board. And it was like a more arts and culture based organization that isn't LGBTQ plus focused, but needed to have LGBTQ plus individuals. So I got into that organization from just a lot of networking and knowing uh, kind of the language and and having to to learn new language and business and world. And I would say that's really where a lot of like my nonprofit work began because it was more business. It was it was a structure. I was getting paid for it. And and I learned how to run events from 1500 people to 15,000 people. Well, that's amazing. Yeah. Concerts (laughs) and, and fun things and Friday night events and alternative events and just the importance of making space for individuals and to create like community and culture and and together. And so coming back from college, that's kind of what I, I, I came with that mindset of knowing how to do these large events, but also not knowing the structure the San Gabriel Valley is so disconnected in many ways. So you can cross the street and you're in another jurisdiction. It's very true. Yes. It's very big too. Los Angeles County in general is really big. Congratulations. That's really awesome. That's, that's, you should be very, very I'm proud for you. Thank you so much. (laughs) Um, What was it like when you came back to San Gabriel Valley after college? Um, I think the interesting part was uh, I came back uh, in the year 2017 and uh, that the first year within like the first couple of months trying to find a job, I think, was the most difficult part post-graduation. There was something in the years 2016, 2020 that were just really difficult to find like employment that was really stable and so when I first came back, it was interesting to be, I, I joined this company job and really being in this company place made me realize that I wanted to find like community elsewhere. Mm-hmm. So a month into joining that job, I ended up uh, going to the San Gabriel Valley LGBTQ Center's website somehow. I think I just Googled <laughs> like my city name and the San Gabriel Valley and I ended up texting a number. Uh, we have a hotline that's open and people were, uh, and so basically I got a volunteer link and within a, two weeks I was at a volunteer meeting and within a month from that, I was on the board. You know, I really started just being a, a volunteer, helping doing volunteer coordination around the time. But I think for me, it was more so figuring out what does community look like? And so that my first volunteering event was the Duda Parade in 2017, which is like a very Pasadena staple. Okay. Uh, and they throw tortillas at people. And we were in the parade just kind of behind the queen and okay. kind of like saying like, yes, queen, uh, down with the, you know, like kind of just like hyping up the queen. I thought it was really interesting to see the way in which like how folks make community back here, you know, like it, we are here and from what we learned, uh, we had a convening yesterday. We had, there's 115,000 people in the San Gabriel Valley who identify as LGBTQ+. Uh, thank you, Planned Parenthood, for the stats. Um, but uh, just interestingly enough, like we're all trying to make community. It's just how do we make it? And find it. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, what's, what is it about the um, LGBTQ Center in San Gabriel Valley that kind of brought you in and and wanted, you know, to create this, you to be on mm. the board and mm. create more of a community for some other people. Mm. You know, I think it was realizing that um, there was a point in my journey as uh, like a, uh, when I was in college, you know, you're like a first year and a second year and you're kind of looking up to other third and fourth years who are doing the things that you're curious about. 
And then when you're at third or fourth year, you start to realize, oh, that place was, these places were created because of the people older than us. And so then you start to realize, oh, maybe, maybe I need to help out in some way. And you start to kind of realize what is your role and, and style. And, and I would really say flavor. And from that, how can your particular type of magic or spark, you know, whether it be organizing or activism or art or uh, speaking or all of these different things, how are you providing that to the world? And, and also, how are you just providing that to yourself? You know, we do a lot of this, like how we're helping the community, but I think helping ourselves also helps the community taking care yes. of ourselves. Uh, I, I think also being in the, to the particular, to the podcast, thinking about uh, for myself, like learning to eat regularly, just to take care of myself, you know, learning to maintain uh, like my body in many ways, you know, cause it, it's a battery and if we don't take care of it, we can run low. Yes. Very low. Yeah. <laughs> I've, I've been there. Yeah. Um, so this kind of sounds like a perfect place to talk about your transition. Uh, mm. Does that work for you? Yeah. Okay. Um, That's transition. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I shared some data at the top of the hour. Do any of these like stats resonate with you? Yes, they do. And I think it also resonates with a lot of my friends in the community thinking about our many different styles. Uh, some folks don't know that you know, what the hormones that we take, you know, as transgender individuals is a lot of like um, body fat redistribution. And also uh, that's kind of where I loved the word that you use body incongruence, because it's a new language that a lot of people are starting to use these days. Only recently within the last two years have I heard, started hearing body incongruence versus body dysmorphia. Yes. Because yes. I think it, it really takes this like different word that, uh, you know, language is ever evolving. And I think language has, has to be intentional. And so thinking about this incongruence, I was like, oh, it makes sense. It's like a disalignment of sorts, you know, and that's why this medicine assists us in our journey. So I, I love it. I love my hormones, but you know, I also went through the experiences of, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm gaining weight in these different areas. And what does that mean? And, but I'm feeling happy. And, and how does that feel? And I, I'm also a Zumba instructor. So I used to move <laughs> so much more often than I do now, but, um, thanks COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but I think a part of that is also acknowledging that, um, you know, in many other ways I'm moving, uh, like in my mind, I'm, I'm, you know, in via community, via spaces that we see being created, like it's just a different type of energy that's being used. And, and I love it. Like every version of myself that I've ever been, I've had to learn how to love. And, and, uh, and I think every day I learn how to love her even more. That's really beautiful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Thank you for sharing that. Uh, I think it's super, super important that kind of what you said about, you know, I also used to be super athletic and go hiking all the time and, and that kind of stuff. And then when COVID hit, didn't same thing with like, I didn't really move around that much. Mm -hmm. Um, so I started to gain weight, um, and, eating disorder, obviously brain took over, uh, during COVID. Um, mm. so I find it really beautiful that during it, your time during COVID that you still found a way to love yourself mm. instead of just looking at the outside appearance, you would just, you continue to take a, take a toll on, you know, your own mind, which is very, it's just very beautiful. Yeah. And thank you for talking about that, you know, and also speaking of the realities of these last two years, right. It, been two and a half years of uh, a lot of uh, grieving, you know, in moving through it because it's not a, um, I think it really allowed us, has allowed us to pause. And 
think ask the hard questions that are that I think we've needed to ask ourselves for many years. And for myself, I had to um I got a clear message. I do a lot of meditating. And so I got a clear message in the beginning of COVID that was like, well, what's the opposite that you normally do? And I'm normally this huge energizer bunny that's out there and shows up and does all of these different things. And I've had to learn in throughout this time to how do I show up for myself more? You know, you know, how do I uh, like uh, sometimes I'm, I'm more late to things and, you know, things <laughs> like that. But it's just like all of that is just a reflection of, of making sure that I'm I'm OK so that I can show up in these other ways. Yeah, that's beautiful. Yeah. That's so beautiful. Um, so does the S, uh, does the San Gabriel Valley LGBTQ Center have um, programming to address these kind of issues like eating disorders, mental health? So throughout the entire pandemic, um, I became the president in 2020. Uh, I was the vice president before that and the volunteer coordinator before that. Um, but in uh, the year 2020, uh, we moved to all online programming. Okay. And so it was really interesting to be able to move all of our programs. We were doing anywhere between 18 to 24 programs a month. It's a lot. <laughs> and, That's a lot. <laughs> and we're an entirely 100% volunteer-led organization. Like, oh, And we're barely starting to see some of the funding that we've been looking for many years come in. And so uh, for uh, ourselves, yeah, we do... Uh, the main group that we've had is we've had peer support groups for many different populations. So uh, we have a bi-positive peer support group for that's for folks um, on bisexuality plus, so folks who might be ace, et cetera. We also have a group that is our TGI peer support group for transgender nonconforming and intersex individuals. We have other peer support groups such as our um, we had a seniors group that was very active, uh, but during this time we were not meeting and that's all right. We'll have another facilitator soon. And then we also have other groups like our uh, chatty crafties groups, which is an intergenerational arts and crafts groups that we're actually going to start meeting in person. So that one's a really great way to meet just folks of all sorts. When we've done more in-person programming, things, uh, things like barbie queers, which is uh, our play on a barbecue is just to provide food for individuals and come together and make space. And I'm excited to see what our new programming looks like. We actually, uh, have a survey that we've been doing in the community uh, this past year, 2022. And we've received 204 responses across four cities in the San Gabriel Valley. And uh, the four specific areas that have come from the survey is programs, events, and activities are what folks want. Folks want education and school involvement. They want trainings and resources and marketing and visibility, and not just from our organization, but from their cities, right? Really being able to see marketing and visibility in each city. Two cities, as of now that we know in the San Gabriel Valley, have rainbow crosswalks. Can we get that to 31? Yeah, every single one. That would be great. (laughs) (laughs) That's very, uh, very awesome. Um, Do you feel that there was a difference in the community that you came from, from college, just LGBTQ community wise to the community in San Gabriel Valley. Mm. Like, do you feel like there's a, a difference in that community mm. just in how they feel about themselves, how they feel about being out, all that kind of stuff. Mm. That's a really great <laughs> question. And I don't think I've ever been asked that. And I think the simple answer to that and also not so simple is there are two entirely different demographics. Uh, I think when I was at UC Santa Barbara, a lot of my spaces were full of uh, people of color 
Um, I was in organizations like the Queer and Trans People of Color Collective, uh, the Latinx group that I talked about, La Familia de Colores. I was in Queer Commission. I was in all these other organizations that really uh, were centered and centering folks of color. And it's coming back to the landscape here in the San Gabriel Valley. It's a very diverse region. There are uh, folks of all sorts, all colors, all genders, all sexualities. And I think it's important to acknowledge that it, it's a different ball game. And so for myself, I've, uh, I think working at the last job that I talked about AS program board really prepared me for coming back to the region. Uh, I, AS program board was predominantly white and coming back to the region, uh, just has to be, it's different power dynamics. And I think also for myself, these past two years, I've been learning what does it mean to navigate new gender dynamics as well. I feel like when uh, people saw me as a, as a man in the past, you know, um, I, I came into a room, there was no questioning. And nowadays I get a lot more questions. I get a lot more, are you sure? Mm, mm, you know, kind of, and, and, and I have, to, I have a lot of trans friends and a lot of my trans friends tell me about like, oh yeah, like people who are trans mass tell me, oh yeah, that's kind of how it felt like when I was navigating the world as a woman or, you know, and so it's it's just navigating a new entire gender system, social system, et cetera, that we don't really talk about, you know, this like uh, kind of a loss, but also like gains in so many other ways that I, that I, it outweighs everything. Yeah. Which is very true, actually, even like even the eating disorder community, mm-hmm. because you, your identity for most of your life has been your eating disorder mm-hmm. is that when you change, when you're going through recovery, you are grieving, you like grieve that person almost mm-hmm. because you're now becoming this different person without an eating disorder, you know, whatever, you know, that basically controlled your life for most of your life. Um, so yeah, that's very interesting that that's how, um, that works. That's yeah. I'm so sorry about that though. Like that. Oh, I just, I'm like in this, like, I want to change everything, <laughs> you know, like just, uh, um, so I'm glad that we're having this conversation. Um, then I, I think you're at the right voltage then. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> um, so let's move into the conversation about your trans femme queer artivist life. Yes. Um, can you please speak to me about what it looks like for you and explain what it means? Yeah. So, uh, I think for myself, uh, someone who came out in 20 March 15th, 2016, and then shortly after came out as a drag queen, um, it, it was very interesting to be able to embrace art in my life as somebody who has been in leadership structures for many years, but in many ways hasn't given myself the opportunity to, to really call myself an artist. And so over the years I've had to learn, like, what does that lens for me look like? You know, uh, just because I'm maybe doing a board meeting or other structures doesn't mean that I'm not an artist. And, uh, and in many ways I've had to learn what does that mean to own it and, and own my story. And so I would have to say, um, uh, that it really started from my drag performances in 2016, understanding the power there and even meeting friends now who will tell me, oh, wow, I met Camila in the year this year and she was performing on stage and I thought she was the best. And then they're, and now they're drag queens out there with like five crowns and all this stuff. And I'm like, oh, wow, I can't believe like just like a little bit of imagination for somebody can kind of go a long way. And so for myself, I've had to learn what, what is my artist and how can I acknowledge that I'm a, I'm a lifelong artist, just like I'm a lifelong student. 
And so as a lifelong artist, it means uh, taking moments of rest. It means performing two times a year. <laughs> it means uh, being in a couple of shows, but also just going and seeing shows and, and being able to see other people's work. Uh, I was in an exhibit in 2021. That was my first photo exhibit. And that was with Rich LA. It was movement through cataclysms. And it was a really great uh, like uh, centering of individuals of color in Los Angeles County that are LGBTQ plus. And uh, it was a uh, gallery that was showing that we had for two weeks. And that really showed me that like my art was worth it and my art could be in a gallery. And if you go to the LGBTQ center in the San Gabriel Valley, that our new building, uh, those gold frames that those are the pieces that I created. Oh, I did not know that. I was just there, what, two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, so that, those are the new ones. Uh, those are like one of the pieces. And then after that, I, I've been able to do other work as well. I joined uh, a photo exhibit with Create Art and I had pieces up for a whole month and for a whole two months. And with that as well, thinking about myself as an artist and trying to help other artists. So with the San Gabriel Valley LGBTQ Plus Center, this past June, we were actually able to have an exhibit with Altadena Library, where we featured 15 artists and we had about 45 pieces of work shared. And right now we're curating an art piece at our building that will be opening up in the near future. Oh, that's very cool. It'd be cool yeah. to have some like art fair that's just all LGBTQ. Yes, definitely. It'd be really cool. You would love the Art Queens Collective. They're yeah. an art collective that I'm a part of in the San Gabriel Valley. Okay. And uh, they specifically do pop-up events of many different types of artists. And it's just really great to be able to be surrounded in community of people who care for you. You know, people who are LGBTQ plus and artists and also want to teach you like this is how much you should maybe charge for a print or this is how much you should sell your package for or things of the sorts, because a lot of that is trial and error. And when we really learn what community building is, it's, it's helping each other. It's, it's also understanding if someone asks you something that you don't want to answer, you don't have to answer it. Yeah, that's perfect. I, if anything over this past year, what I've learned is that community is key for everything. It mm -hmm. is, I have always been so, you know, like, isolate myself and coming through recovery. Now I can see how important community is and just having people around you that believe in you and that you can trust and want your dreams, and your goals to be met. It's, it's an amazing thing. Yeah. And I love that the way that you use that word coming through, you know, because I think it is, and I think life every day is like that through moment, you know, it, with friends, with, with our own journeys, with our, experiences with, you know, even maybe future goals, you know, it, it, we still have to go through it in some way. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. So how did you come up with La Loca as your artiva? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when I first came out as a drag queen, my name was Camila La Loca. Okay. And uh, after using Camila La Loca for many years, I actually have a tattooed on me right here. Oh, you do nice. <laughs> yeah, and I got it in Mexico uh, many years ago. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, for 20 bucks. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> But uh, I always felt like um, as a trans femme person, I felt like people saw me as crazy, you know, I know it's such a charged word, but, you know, I think it's when you're called it for many years, it's you have to figure out like, am I, am I going to let people just say this to me or am I just going to use it kind of switch it, you know? And, and I've also heard like, bitch, you're crazy because <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to cuss, so sorry. <laughs> totally but, fine. Uh, okay. <laughs> but uh, like, you know, because like, you know, I've been doing activist work for so long and so many organizations are like, how are you, how do you do it? And, you know, and I think they think that just doing this stuff is, you know, it's crazy. But um, 
when it's work of the heart, you don't see it that way. When you're actually in it, you don't see it that way. And so for myself, I feel like La Roca really came from embracing that. I was like, okay, what does it mean to be like my loca is self, right? What does it mean? And also as a performer, I think it, it it translates in my work. Like I remember this one time in Santa Barbara doing a splits from a stage, like falling off of this thing. And it was like probably four feet. And it felt really cool to just be able to be like, can I do that? No, you can't do that. Can I do that? No, you can't do that. And then I was like, you know what? The only one telling me that I can't do it is myself. So mm-hmm. I just learning, like, what does it mean to be my full self? And then many years later, realizing, you know, Camila Loca can't really be like a legal name. And so, <laughs> well, I can, but uh, I, I found out, uh, I found Camelion through really my studies in feminist studies. I was uh, taking a theater class and learning about Astrid Haddad in Mexico, a performance artist, and understanding the way in which she, uh, you know, kind of transformed through these many versions of her skin as a Latinx artist being able to see culture as something that was so pivotal. That's why I use a full name in Spanish and why I always use, uh, you know, and bring into spaces my Spanish, so. That's very, very cool. Yeah, very intentional. Yes. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So as we wrap up, can you let our listeners know where you can find you on social media Mm -hmm. and how they can get involved with the HDB LGBTQ Center? Yes. So you can find me on social media at Camila, period, Cameleon. Yes, there's a period there, y'all. And then find the San Gabriel Valley LGBTQ Plus Center at sgvlgbtq.org and also at sgvlgbtq on all social media platforms. And let me know if you all are interested in other magic as well. I also have a newsletter that you can subscribe at camilacameleon.com and it's coming out once a month. Nice. So thank you. Camila, thank you so much for joining me today in studio to be a part of my journey. The Journey Podcast is brought to you by Dr. April's Hollywood Mobile Vet, Craft 9 Hair Design, and a list of community backers, which you will see in the show notes. This podcast is produced and edited by Mejia TV and can be found on all major podcast platforms. You can support this podcast by liking this episode and subscribing to it. You can also support me by rating this podcast and following me on social media at The Journey Podcast CY. Also, join me every week for a hike around the Los Angeles area. For more information on this episode, visit www thejourneypodcastcy.com. Thank you for listening and supporting The Journey Podcast.